Catch new episodes of Dial the Gate weekends at youtube.com slash dialthegate. And for the latest schedule, visit dialthegate.com. Thanks so much for tuning in to Dial the Gate. My name is David the Wraith Reed. Hope you're having a great afternoon. We just got wrapped up with The Companion in a pre-recorded episode, and we're moving now on to James Lafazanos, who played, believe it or not, a wraith. Many, many wraiths in uh, Stargate Atlantis. But before we bring him in, if you like Stargate and you want to see more content like this on YouTube, it means a great deal if you click that like button. It really makes a difference with YouTube's algorithm and will definitely help the show grow its audience. Please also consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend, and if you want to get notified about future episodes, click that subscribe icon. Giving the bell icon a click will notify you the moment a new video drops, and you'll get my notifications of any last-minute guest changes. And clips from this stream will be released over the course of the next several uh, days on the GateWorld.net YouTube channel where they get exclusive clips. As this episode is pre-recorded, uh, we've had submissions for James uh, already previously, so we're going to run uh, those questions uh, in this episode. So the mods will be there in the forum, uh, excuse me, in the live chat just to moderate. They will not actually be taking questions because we we uh, we already have those, uh, those, those questions. So I really appreciate you tuning in, and let's go ahead and uh, bring in uh, James Lafazanos. I am privileged to welcome, for the first time ever to Dial the Gate, James Lafazanos, one of many Wraith Commanders, actually many of one. How do you look at that? Do you all consider them like the same kind of person, or are they all different to you? How, did, how, do, you get, how do you wrap your head around that? Um, I think someone explained it best whenever they made the comparison to South Park. He's like Kenny. Yeah, you keep killing him, but he keeps coming back. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, like they're they're all different. They all have their own personalities. Um, but it's like it's that same vibe throughout that you know species. It's like they're pretty, you know, they got a they got a, a little bit of an intensity to them. <laughs> Just a wee bit. So, how are you, James? How are things going? I'm good. Thanks for asking. Yes. How are, how are things over there? Where are you in? It looks like Pennsylvania or I'm in Nashville. Oh, you're in Nashville. Okay, yeah. cool. Nice. Yeah. So it is. I've never been to Nashville, but I would love to check it out. Sometime. It's a, it's a busy city. It's, it's a loud city. You have to appreciate music or at least tolerate yes. it. I hear it's an amazing city for music. I'm very Jack... happy to be here. You what now? Yeah. Right. Uh, doesn't Jack White live there from the white stripes? I have no idea who that is. Oh, but yeah. It's He's quite possible. Okay. Yeah, and I, I heard that at one point he moved to Nashville, Tennessee from, I think, where he was in the UK. So. Jack White, Nashville. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. American singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, and producer, best known for White Stripes. Absolutely exactly. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a music head, so I'm... Well, there you go. I'm, then I'm, you have to come down. And when you do, please let me know. I'll take you out to dinner. So Please, there is a yeah, strip down exactly. here that is amazing. It, it looks like Vegas from the 1960s. Oh, wow. That yeah. sounds awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I mean, I pick you up on that sometimes. <laughs> Absolutely. So James, when did you realize this is what you wanted to do for the rest of the life? How, how old were you when you knew you wanted to act and what really set this trajectory into your career? Um, if you don't mind I mean, taking I'm, me back. No problem. Yeah. I mean, like some of like my earliest influences, like in, as far as like going to movie theaters mm -hmm. were of the sci-fi, you know, variety. Like I saw, I think Empire Strikes Back was one of the first films I saw in theaters. Um, E.T. was one of the first films I saw in theaters. Uh, so like, like those two particular movies like stood out as like, oh, wow, like they can put magic up on the screen. And, you know, it, 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 I guess that planted the first couple of seeds. And then when I started doing like theater in grade school, mm -hmm. I got cast in the very first uh, production I ever auditioned for in our like grade six. I was 11 years old, production of Sound of Music. And I played Captain Von Trapp. And, <laughs> uh, That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I became a father to whatever it was, 10, 12 children, <laughs> um, so to speak, the character. Um, and and my voice was changing at the time, yeah. too, which was great because I had a solo, Edelweiss, and my, it was like, Edelweiss. It was, it was a treat for the audience. Uh, if they were looking for comedy, they, they got it. Uh, <laughs> But it was fun, and it gave me that first experience of like performing in front of a crowd and getting getting laughs and getting that audience feedback, and and yeah, I kind of got hooked from there. I think. Wow. Well, that's that's what, now. Did you did you continue this into college? Uh, I I mean, like I uh, actually switched high schools at one oh, point wow. in time. Uh, okay. To go to like this bigger school, I went to the school originally that was called St. Thomas Aquinas, small Catholic school. Like they called it the hall because there's literally okay. one hall, like three or four hundred students. And then I switched to this big high school, which to us was kind of like the American high school you would see in on television shows. It had like a football team and two thousand students and a serious drama program. And that was in like I think grade eleven or twelve. And and I switched because of some of the teachers there and we did some really cool plays, um, some really existential stuff, um, like stuff that was just beyond what I kind of started off doing, which were, I, I started off doing musicals, like, like I said, Sound of Music. And then I did Bumble, uh, Mr. Play Mr. Bumble and Oliver Twist in grade eight. And I was like Tony and West Side Story in grade nine. And then I switched to the Banting Memorial High School in Alston, Ontario, which is where I was born. And, um, and yeah, I, I got in with a good group of like serious theater, you know, uh, heads, uh, folks. And and I really, yeah, I, I got into kind of like a little more serious theater. And and it was stuff that we had a great playwright, Ryan Breeden, who was doing this amazing stuff. Um, and and yeah, uh, I played, we did a production of The Raft by Stephen Leacock, which uh, entered this festival and we got, through this whole like uh, Sears Ontario Drama Festival, which was kind of a big wow. deal back in the day, and it just traveled all we traveled all over Ontario performing the show. It was like a Bunraku style production of the Raft, which was just two characters. If you're not familiar with the, it's a short short play, but two characters on a raft, and we were controlling like the characters, three people per person. They were actually like, like oh wow, puppets. <laughs> yeah, it was like it was. It was pretty cool. And the voices? Uh, yeah, and I, I did I did the voice for I did the voice for the male character. Uh and and yeah, that was 
yeah, it was just like a next level production from, from my humble beginnings in, in Catholic schools. Um, so, so yeah, I, that teacher there, uh, Stephen Thomas was, he was the former director of the Hamilton opera. Like he was wow. kind of like a big deal for, for a small town, Alston. And, uh, he, he just told me straight out, he's like, yeah, if you want to make a career out of this, you could. So, you know, you may want to consider this school, this school. So he gave me some great advice and was a great, just kind of early, you know, sending me in the right direction, kind of voice of positive, positive, uh, encouragement. And, and yeah, I, I ended up, uh, going ahead and pretty much moving downtown Toronto and getting my first agent and then starting auditions and, and booking some stuff, just like some commercials here and there to begin with. And then, yeah, it wasn't until I moved till from Toronto to Vancouver, uh, I think it was about 2002, and then started auditioning there, which is where I mm-hmm. auditioned and booked um, the role of, uh, of the Wraith character, the first, the first Wraith character, and, and all the Wraith characters, obviously, that I played. Tell us first. about <laughs> getting Rising. Tell us about that, that audition process. Um, okay, so that was for casting director Sean Cossey and uh, Sean is a great casting director here in Vancouver and still casts many productions. And I, it was in a trailer on the set of, okay. the, they did a Bridge Studios. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Bridge Studios, but that's yeah. where they all, yeah, you probably would. Um, and so there was a trailer on set that they were doing the auditions in. And I was like, this is kind of funny. You know, I haven't auditioned on set in a trailer before. And because of the nature of being a trailer, you could hear through the walls, the, like the other people auditioning. And oh, I the, and, I, and I was hearing the direction being given to each of the actors, and I was like, "You know what? Um, I don't know if I totally agree with the direction being given. Uh, I maybe just because I had prepared something totally different from the direction I heard being given to the other actors in the room. That I, I was like, you know what? I will do it my way first, yeah. and then if you want to hear it with his direction, then I'll do it with his direction." And so I just stuck to my guns and did it the way that I thought worked best. And I think that's what made the impression. And then I, and then I was like, I can do it again with the direction that you gave me. And he's like, yeah, sure. You know, like, and I, and I did the, the take that he wanted uh-huh. uh, with his direction. And I, I think it was the direction I gave myself, which stood, made me stood, stood apart or stand apart, I should say, from the other people auditioning for that particular role. Do you recall what that was? What was your take that was a little different? Your take meaning approach, uh, not take meaning take two, take three. It, it's pretty much what you saw on screen. It, yeah. I, I, I just made him, uh, I think, just more menacing than what I was okay. hearing in the audience. I, I, I just wanted to, I just kind of went all in with like, how how intense can I make this 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 be, being slash creature slash alien vampire? How can I how can I get that across? And I just went into that zone which i felt was where that um that 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 vibe that that became i don't know i mean i i guess i kind of set the tone for i guess future race because mm-hmm. it was uh i was the first one doing it but everybody who did it since you know like had their own cool versions but i just i came in with what i i felt worked with what was written on the page and that's to me like it's if what's on the page, like what's written, like if it's, if it's good writing and I, and I did, and I liked the writing of that first episode a lot um, and other episodes, of course, too, but 
that particular first one, which was my first introduction to the, to a script from Stargate Atlantis, I was like, okay, this I get, I think I get it, and this is what I'm gonna, this is how I'm gonna do it. So it was just kind of instinct. I mean, like that's that's what I have to trust in 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 whenever I do. Even sometimes when I when I get direction that's really different from my initial kind of take on stuff, like at least I'll. I'll offer my instinctual kind of like read and then I'm happy to, you know, go whatever direction the director wants to go after that. Wow. And, you know, with a character like these, you know, you, you, there's only so much, they don't do a lot of talking. It's a lot more visual. It's a lot more just, just energy, like menacing. So I imagine it's, it's not a typical way that you can find out a character by, well, you know, what was his upbringing like? You know, where'd he go to school? You know, who bullied him? That none of that applies with this. This is this is a very alien sort of sort of being. And uh, Lick Queen Becky wanted to know where did you take your inspiration in bringing these creatures to life? What did you have to go with that you just ran with? Right. Yeah. I mean, like I can uh, draw on a lot from from ET. He was a really menacing alien. That <laughs> no, what? You didn't see the same movie I saw. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, obviously not. But th- th- I mean, like, there was definitely other aliens out there in the sci-fi universe that had similar vibes. Um, I mean, there is a ferocity to the Wraith character that you could find in, uh, like, Worf on Star Trek: Next Generation. You know, he's he's part of the crew there, but he's still got that warrior instinct. So. A little bit of a, a little bit of that, like almost Klingon vibe, uh, meat, but it's a totally it's, it's different from the Klingon vibe too. So it's it's like a little bit kind of Anne Rice, like interview the vampire, mm. a little bit of kind of like that kind of vibe, like classic Nosferatu vampire. Like I think Nosferatu was probably like the, the original like vampire on, on ever filmed, like uh, and and that was. That was done so much. That was with, it was a silent film, right? Am I, I, I'm not mistaken. I think that that's correct. Yeah. yeah. I think one of well, my audience members actually brought up uh, Nosferatu and that, yeah. like, that, kind of, that kind of role giving you um, an edge. And yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I get confused because I, I really like the, the movie about Nosferatu uh, with William Defoe playing mm. not. Not, I mean, who's an amazing actor mm-hmm. uh, playing Nosferatu. So that's why I was like, was it silent or was it not silent? Because <laughs> well, it was a little bit more re- recent, but yeah. Yeah, a little more recent. But I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure, you may have want to Google check that. Oh, I would definitely will. But I, I'm pretty sure the original Nosferatu was, was a silent film and they had a really amazing score to it. And with that, with that musical score and just like that whole look and which in the makeup department, obviously for Nosferatu was amazing as well. Just like the makeup department for Stargate Atlantis, you know, like once you put on like getting the prosthetics and that whole two hour process of getting, you know, the wig, the, the contacts, the teeth put in, it's like, you have this time to like get into the character. And when you see that in your, in the mirror, it really like, I have to give huge credit to the makeup uh, department because they do half the work in, in bringing out that which is that that vibe because a lot of it is in is in the look D Pixian wanted to know what was your feeling uh seeing yourself in that makeup for the very first time standing in front of that mirror 
it's it it almost like gives myself shiver like yeah. giving myself shivers yeah it's it's because sometimes like i would and i would notice it just from other crew and cast members like i would try to you know joke around and stuff between takes and try to keep things light for the most part whenever we're not in the scene because some people would just be like you could tell they were like a little bit on pins and needles when i walked by because it was just like whoa that guy looks crazy like you know it's like and then and then when i got into character and i and really got into it in some of these takes where there's more like you know like intense scenes then some people did you know say to me afterwards like whoa man that (laughs) givers and i've been working on shows for however so i knew i was on the right track with doing that particular character justice and and so yeah sometimes i did scare myself (laughs) with with where with where the energy went and where and where and how i looked and everything it just was like I had to kind of like, uh, I struggled with it, to be honest, for a while there. I was, I was like, I was like, how can I really keep playing this? Because right. it, it, when it's over, when it's over two seasons, it's, it, it, it is intense because I, I obviously never played a character like that for that length of time before. And it, um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a serious commitment because you, you can't just get in and out of it. Like whenever they yell cut, because you still look like that character Correct. and you're going to, you're going to look like that character for like however long the day is 12, 14 hours, however long, plus, plus the time to get into, into makeup and to get out of makeup. So it's, it's um yeah, you're really in it. Like you're and it's, and it's not easy being green. <laughs> to quote Garrett the Frog, I've said it once. And I'll say it again. It's not easy being green. Did uh, D John wanted to know, did, did the role ever uh, bring you nightmares? Um, or contribute to well, unsettling you subconsciously that way. I mean, like, I remember the what kind of what episode where I, where my character was like getting into the dreams. I think of Rachel Luttrell's character. Yes. But yeah, I can't, what, which episode was that? Uh, that was the right. gift. The gift, right? Yes. Yeah. And and so and so that that whole episode was kind of dreamy. So because of the dreamy nature of that episode, I think it like it kind of like. Yeah, it, it, it kind of warped just even reality that day because wow. it was just kind of like, oh, everything's just a little bit off today. You know, it's and so it's actual nightmares. I don't know about actual nightmares, but I did. I think I did. I did struggle with it. I mean, like I only did season one and season two and I and I chose to leave the show after the end of season two. Um, uh, season three. Season was third. it season? Yeah, I mean, wasn't it season? No, I'm sorry. You're right. Season two. You're absolutely right. My apologies. No problem. I did the I did the last episode of season two, I believe, and I think that was the same episode. Allies, and we saw yourself Allies. for the first time. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I did I did have like I said, I did I did struggle with the intensity of it because I come from like a comedy background. Like most of the stuff I did um like leading up to that was of was a comedic nature like a lot of uh comedic commercials and stuff which maybe not seen internationally but you know seen in canada nationally and stuff like this and and that's kind of a little more of my everyday vibe so it was like it was a kind of a polar opposite of of what i usually embody energy wise and so i think just i think I think I went after two seasons, I was like, yeah, I think I fully explored it. And I think, I think I'm ready to step away and let somebody else to have the opportunity. 
And, and, and I loved everybody on the show. I love the cast and crew. It was just me just having to be like, yeah, I think it's, it's time I go back to my first love of comedy. And that's, and I went back to Toronto and started studying at second city comedic, comedic, <laughs> uh, improv training center. And I got right back into comedy. And I think that's what I was missing at the time, but, but I, I, really enjoyed the time I had mm. doing it. And I appreciate it. I think I appreciate it more now mm. than ever. I think at the time I was like, I was, I was pretty young too. I mean, like I was probably like, we're talking almost 20 years ago now, right? Like exactly. it's 19, 19 years ago that, uh, mm. 2003, 2004, right? the show started airing. So yeah. Yeah. I think we started shooting in 2003, but yeah, it started airing in 2004. Yeah. So whatever it is, 18 years, like, uh, it's like, it's basically half a lifetime ago for me. So, um, so yeah, I was, I think I was still young and just didn't know how to handle a lot of the stuff that came with that. And so, yeah, a little bit, a little bit was, was overwhelming for me, but I, I think I am, I think I've definitely grown a lot since, since, since then. And since that, uh, project and I, and I come to really appreciate that experience now more than ever. In in hindsight, do you regret leaving when you did, or was it still strategically the the best time for you in hindsight to to take a bow? Um, I mean, it's yeah. I mean, timing is is like uh, it's hard to say. I mean, like hindsight is twenty twenty, mm-hmm. and there's part of me that was that's it, it, like, oh, I wonder if I stayed in like the full five seasons, like how that would have been different for you know for everything. Uh, but you can't think that way. I, I, I just, I feel like at the time I was really, I was really struggling with it. In fact, I, w- I was struggling with it at the end of season one. And so I was like, I'll do one more season. And then, and then if I'm not feeling it after one more season, then I will. But I mean, I was feeling those same things after, after season one. So it wasn't a new, it wasn't a new feeling that came up at the end of season two. It was something that I was just like, it's, uh, it, I wanted to, you know, uh, do, do by myself, mm. like do good by myself. And also, uh, and, you know, we're not just talking leaving Star We're also talking leaving the West coast too and heading back. Oh, yeah, no, like, so there's yeah, a lot I, going I on. So I left, I left the city. Like I, it was a, a huge like change for me, like, like leaving. And it, and it wasn't any, an easy decision. Like I literally was like, I had a therapist at the time that I was like talking about it with regularly and being like, and yeah, I really, I really like doing this is like, this is the biggest success I've had in my acting career. It's, it's an amazing experience. Any actor should be like totally grateful as I, as I am for that experience. But at the, but at the same time, I was like, it was kind of a little bit heart wrenching for me. And I was kind of like, okay, I, I'm gonna, I just kept going and going and going. But by the end of season two, I was like, okay, yeah, I think I need to step away and, and, and get back to my roots of comedy. And just, um, and I think that's, that's kind of my happy place, so to speak. And yeah, I mean, um, I guess, yeah, uh, again, I, I felt like it was a time at the time. I would think and I've had, I've been fortunate enough to have a number of the Atlantis folks, the Stargate folks in general on, on the show. Um, and I would think under, under normal circumstances, doing the number of episodes that you were doing every season would be, would be stressful enough, but to add on top of that, the layers of makeup, and the prosthetics and the teeth and and everything that you were going through, I can imagine after a little bit while it'd be like, is there an angle to this I haven't explored? You know, I think we're good. <laughs> so, yeah. and I wouldn't blame you. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, the one other possibility was if like one of the wraith like actually was so 
actual like turned from his species mm-hmm. and like went vegan or whatever. Right. And, you know, like, <laughs> chose not to feed off of humans and then like walked a new kind of way of life. Then maybe like mm-hmm. that I would consider that and like to have the to have the maybe camaraderie of the crew and be part of like a crew kind of like Worf is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's, that makes a big difference. I think, I mean, he uh, obviously uh, I, I referenced it before, but um, yeah, Star Trek next generation was a huge influence on me. And, and I, I, and I love the character of Worf and I did impressions of the character of Worf and, and I felt like, yeah, his whole thing with like being part of the Federation, but also uh, being, you know, of this warrior clan uh, of the Klingons, you know, he found that balance in in the character, the writers as well, obviously. But but as far as how he portrayed it, you know, and having those moments where he's doing those ceremonies that he needs to do, but also, you know, representing the Federation uh, on uh, on the deck, like, yeah, I, I think I think that would have been a the 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 type of. Sh- uh, character shift that, that would be needed for mm. for me to continue in that capacity as a as a non-human uh, uh heavily prosthetic kind of character yeah there's a there's a whole depth to the wraith there the uh andy who says hi by the way she told me to tell you hello uh hi. <laughs> andy uh frizzell i asked her once um i said do you view them as evil and she said I'm not evil. I'm just hungry. And Green Gun and Why with Hunt wanted to know to take us into the psychology of the Wraith and slipping into that mindset. Do you do you see them as a negative force at work in the Pegasus Galaxy, or do you see them as just behaving exactly to their nature? I mean, it's it's funny because I just had a conversation with uh, my cousin's daughter Chloe who lives in Montreal and I spent some time in Montreal after I lived in Toronto after I left uh, Vancouver and she was she's been watching all of the Star Wars for the first time she's like seven years old she's uh. telling me all about Star Wars and and she was just so excited about the most recent one she watched and I was telling her how I just auditioned for this uh, animated series where the character like literally had bad guy in his name and he was always referencing how he was a bad guy and he was like oh i don't say sorry because i'm the bad guy and so he had this self-awareness about being the bad guy and we talked about that and in comparison to some of the characters in episode one and, and episode two and three of uh which were you know, the, the third uh the fourth uh fifth and sixth movies made in the star wars mm-hmm. universe and how uh, but the original story you know where anakin you know uh, grows up to become vader and how like certain characters um, are just—they don't—they don't see themselves as evil, but they—they they do things that are beyond their own awareness of being evil. Now, when you have the situation of the wraith, which are dependent on uh, not necessarily humans, but other life uh, to sustain their life. I mean, like, I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to turn that question back around and being like, well, are, are humans inherently evil? We don't see ourselves as evil, but a lot of us consume uh, so many different types of animals. We don't think twice about it. Mm -hmm. 
comes prepared in the grocery store, all nicely packaged. And it's just like, yeah, I'm just having a burger, just having a steak. But you know what? There was a lot of suffering behind that. And maybe you maybe didn't see it, but, you know, it's just like, do you consider, I mean, I am vegan. So yeah, it's <laughs> a fair question a, from a vegan to state that to the rest of us. Maybe, maybe I have a perspective here, uh, mm-hmm. but still, like, uh, I, I think that much like uh like a lizard or or a dinosaur like trinosaurus rex that just hunts because that's what it eats it's it's a carnivore it it eats meat as opposed to like a brontosaurus which is you know like a a plant eater it sometimes it's just the way that they were designed on the on the molecular dna level sometimes Mm -hmm. but if you have like an awareness level like we do as humans, then it becomes a choice. We can choose what, what fuels us. We can choose not only what fuels us as human beings, but what fuels that which is, uh, that gets us around. Like, do we want to choose an electric vehicle or, or an oil burning vehicle? And what, what's, what's the effects of each, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just like, we all have these different fuels and I think it's, a very, I mean, I bring this up now because in 2022, the climate crisis is, is real, it's undeniable, and it's, it's, it's directly linked to what we consume in our food and what we consume in our uh, other methods of living and, and transportation, i.e. fuel, fossil fuel burning vehicles, all these kind of things. So, yeah, I mean. Some you could you can say that argument you can and and about humanity and just be like, are we just ignorant as a, by and large as a species on the planet that we're just doing this destruction of Mother Earth, our own home, and possibly you know uh, causing irreversible damage for future generation future generations, or are we just not collectively at that consciousness level where we can truly put into play things that are best for our long-term survival on this planet, as opposed to short-term gains and a certain, you know, powerful entities, corporations, you know, just exploiting um, basically the planet and people. Cause sometimes they look at us like cattle, you know, it's mm. just like buy our product, you know, and, and, and they'll, they'll sell it to you in the commercial. And, and so this is, this is where I'm kind of like, I, I do think going back to tra- keeping it in, in grounded in, in the Stargate reality, it, it was part of their nature and they do kind of represent, I think, an energy in any kind of universe. There is that energy of just like con- consumption, right? That's just like ravenous constru- consumption. Like there's never enough. Like you may get your fill from, in the case of a wraith from one being, but you know, it sometimes it just activates your, your hunger even more and, and it makes you you want to you know as as a as a wraith character you know feed more but yeah i think there's those kind of energies at play sometimes uh, on earth as well we know with with when and when you look at i think i brought up corporations when you look at the definition of a different excuse me definition of a corporation and there was literally a documentary done by a local filmmaker here called the corporation and they had a checklist and it was all the checklist items of what a psychopath is. <laughs> and, and I've talked to people now who are in, in heads of business and they, they talk about some of the people who run some businesses like the CEOs and stuff. And they're like, Oh yeah, they fit that bill because mm. 
they don't see what is enough. They just always are like more, more, more. And so this is where I've, I've really embraced kind of like simple living, um, you know, just like uh, med- da- daily meditation, just trying to keep things grounded as much as possible for me, like so that I can, you know, enjoy the moment, try to live like not making a big imprint as far as like my lifestyle. Mm. I don't drive a fossil fuel burning vehicle. I, I don't, I mean, there's always things I can improve upon. Like I said, I, I, I'm plant-based, um, but it's just, yeah, I guess these are, these are things that mean a lot to me. And, and, and so, yeah, it, it, the, the, playing the Wraith character, it made me realize that, yeah, this is, this is, this is in a sci-fi storyline, but it's, it's things that resonate for people with people for a reason. There's a reason that um, even just the concept of like portals that are stargates, you know, the reason people are into that is because it, it, on some level it makes sense. And I would not be surprised within like, you know, 50 to hundred years that we actually discover and or create something that is like a stargate where you can travel like a wormhole through to other dimensions and or other parts of the universe. I mean, it just, it just makes sense to people on some level. And I think that's the case with the rape too. It makes it, people, it, it resonates with people because it's like, yeah, that's, that's the vibe of quote unquote evil, even if they don't know that they're even themselves. They, they're, it's a vibe. It's, it's like, it's a vibration. I think it's just, there's just lower vibrational beings and they're sometimes they're not aware that they're evil and they just do what they got to do to survive. And then higher vibrational beings can sometimes view the others, those other beings of being like, ah, that is evil. And they label the term evil, but it could be just ignorance. You know, it could be just that they didn't, they didn't evolve to know better. Yeah, and and the in the Stargate lore, we find out that the ancients were kind of responsible for making them. So again, it goes back on us or our ancestors, at least unleashing something into the world that we uh, didn't realize the trouble we get into, and and as as a result, we're not taking responsibility for it as well. So there's a lot of parallels. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, could you say you could say the same thing about? The other like major storyline through so many different sci-fi productions, uh, TV shows, films, and that is the you know the the awareness of like AI, you know, going if you're because I actually didn't know that fact about how the ancients. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thanks for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Um, the ancients created the wraith, so you could say the same thing about where we're at with creating you know artificial intelligent life right now, mm-hmm. and we're at that point where we're just like figuring out like how to have uh, robotic beings orient themselves in reality and, and autonomous driving, all the, all the technology that's involved in that. Even Elon Musk you know, uh, of Tesla has said that we're starting out as a car company, but we'll probably be known as a robotics company when it comes to like history. And he's already seeing that as, as a direction because once they figure out autonomous driving, that autonomous, you know, robots or androids uh, or ai you know is, is is right at the the next step right yeah it's, it's it seems to be a race to create this this something this intelligence and who's going to get there first and what characteristics is it going to have it's it's amazing and scary yeah yeah and so there's a lot of choices like with creating something like that and 
and how do you create i just watched it came up in an audition that i was um doing recently where they um asked for a voice that was kind of like a siri style voice like a robotic but in but pretty fluent um and they referenced irobot with will smith yeah which is based on isaac asimov and i went and watched that movie because i never saw it when it first came out and i was like oh this is interesting you know just just the uh the laws um that they give three laws safe yeah three laws right so so yeah i mean like you would have to have those kind of laws and then it would have to be something that could be uncorruptible or 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 you you couldn't hack it or i mean like but how how would that be you know like so so yeah i think we have to tread very carefully into that territory you know like as far as creating things that could come back to you know uh cause cause issues down the line uh because yeah you know like i've seen in so many storylines and in the case of irobot it's like yeah they they saw what humans were doing to the earth. There was like a, this weird environmental message in iRobot where it's like humanity is destroying the planet, so we have to take care. We have to get humanity in check, so you you don't you know ruin ruin Mother Earth. Mm-hmm. So that that was kind of interesting. Um, I've, I've been reading some other sci-fi lately. Um, uh, John Scalzi's Fuzzy Nation. I don't know if you've ever heard of John Scalzi. Definitely John Scalzi. He contributed to Stargate Universe, but I've not heard of Fuzzy Nation. Yes, and he contributed to Stargate Universe. Yes, but he wrote a book called Fuzzy Nation, and it and it. Uh, well, I'll, I'll just say that much. But it was recommended to me by a friend, and it, it's really interesting. The the intersection of like it's kind of takes place on another uh, planet, um, but it's it's dealing with the primitive creatures of that planet and how how we interact with them and how how we either give them rights as either humans or or sentient life or non-sentient life and like what 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 uh what's their criteria for, for whether they have for sentience and stuff wow. like that sounds like a good and metaphor whether, to check out oh yeah it's, it's interesting it's an interesting book there's a there's, there's uh it kind of delves into this kind of like whole court case regarding it so it almost turns into like a sci-fi courtroom kind okay. of, but it, but it's 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 interesting and uh i think it i think it won some awards if i'm not mistaken um but but yeah i i, I listened to the audiobook read by will wheaton ah, uh, there we go yeah so if you get a chance uh listen to the audiobook of fuzzy nation read by will wheaton and and written by by john uh, I will put the link to the Audible in the uh, in the show notes right here. He also did both the Ready Player uh, novels. Uh, will uh, read them and he did a great job. So that's terrific. Oh, really? Okay, mm-hmm. I'll have to check Ready out Player the Ready One and Player. Two. Yep, he's yeah, funny. He does, he, does a, he does a great job of because uh, there's a good sense of humor to Fuzzy yeah. Nation too. Oh, okay. And uh, and 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 he he does a great job in doing different characters, voices, and just yeah, he's he's an amazing performer. Can you take us through um, the original makeup process for you? Yeah. What time would you yeah. get in in the morning and how would it proceed? If you don't mind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it all depended on what crew call was. So say if crew call was like 7 a.m., for example, then I would have to be there as early sometimes as 4 a.m. <sighs> and so that means me getting up at like, sometimes 2.30 or 3 a.m. 
to be on set for 4 a.m. because sometimes it was like a bit of a commute. Um, and then and then being in the chair, and it wasn't like that all the time. It was just like that was there was a few days like that. But uh, typically uh, it's 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 three two to three hours because it took me about two two point five hours on on average with the costume as well as the makeup. So I think they they usually had me there three hours before crew call. So whatever crew call was, it be it. 7, I'd be there at 4 a.m. If it was 10 a.m., I would be there at 7 a.m. If it was noon, I would be there at 9 a.m. So, yeah. And then it, uh, I'd be there just like a little bit after, uh, you know, uh, the, the day wrapped. Uh, probably about, it didn't take as long to get out of makeup. It was uh, like less than an hour, like maybe 30-something minutes maybe to get out of makeup. Mm. Um, but, yeah. Um, yeah, it, um, it started with, it started with the prosthetics, um and those were uh glued on um and then and then it was uh yeah making sure all the edges of the of, of were, were glued on nice and smooth and then uh and then the adding of color whether it would be with an airbrush or actual like hand brush like painting in certain uh either sometimes the tattoos that the mm-hmm. ring had and or just like extra coloration as far as different green tones or what have you. Um, and then it was usually uh, contacts after that and teeth usually came last. And then uh, it would go to wardrobe. And then I think, oh yeah, no, we do the wig uh, and then, um, and then uh, the wardrobe. So, I, I was, was, where did the wig come in again? Yeah, I'm pretty sure the wig was, uh, what was it first? Oh, geez. Um, you would have to have your look- hair like put down, I would think, before they could put any of the any of the other. Yeah, makeup. I was going to say, sorry, maybe maybe the wig was very first. I'm wow. confused. Wig, okay. The wig was. But yeah, um, but yeah the, the ward- uh, wardrobe obviously came last, um, and that would include... Um, Oh yeah, they did my hands as well, right? Exactly, so both of... sides. Yeah, so sometimes they'd be doing that as well at the same time I, they were doing. Sometimes there'd be two people working on me at once, and one person would be doing my face and head, and the other would be doing the hands and the nails and stuff like that. Yeah. Wow. Right, and, and then Ray sometimes had some interesting kind of like jewelry as well. Armor. Um, it was armor, so that uh, yeah. when they closed their hand, they protect their vital organs. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the opening there in the hand. Yeah. Um, that, um, yeah. Sometimes that came with wardrobe cause that was some, sometimes it was with wardrobe pieces. Yeah. Depending on the rate and depending, cause they all had different little, uh, mm-hmm. accessories. Yeah. <laughs> accessories. It's all about the accessories. I don't Absolutely. Know, like if, you ever, if you ever collected figurines, which it looks like you may have judging I by your backpack. Have a few um, pieces. I mean, yeah. I mean, like I, I, you know, I collected like Star Wars characters, like was my first kind of figurines I really got into. And so, you know, making sure you had all those accessories were key. You got some, you got some good stuff over there. What's that? Ooh, nice. That's a great helmet. Yeah. That looks, that looks legit. So this takes me, yeah. So this is one of my, and it's interesting since you brought that up. If you if you pull up a He Man, this is This is a real coincidence. <laughs> yeah. Oh, weird! iRobot. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
Okay. Yep. There are no coincidences. There are no coincidences. It's all synchronicity. <laughs> That's right. Everything that we're saying is being sent for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, that's funny. Yeah, what uh, Zuby Force wanted to know what was you may not recall this. What was the longest day you were in costume? Uh, there was there was a couple of long days. Yeah. I remember, um, and I think I think easily a fourteen hour day was 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 pretty long. But I think I think there was a couple of I mean I think I think legally they couldn't go past sixteen hours, okay, um, because they needed at least uh, as per ACTRA rules, which is the Union for Actors here in Canada, it's SAG in the United States. Um, but yeah, um, I think it's six as far as or at least at that time it was sixteen hours maximum. But even then they wouldn't uh, only if they had to really get something in would they ever go that length. Because they need at least eight hours downtime, but I think I think it definitely went fourteen, maybe a little bit more than fourteen, possibly as much as fourteen and a half. I don't know if there was ever a fifteen-hour day. Possibly mm. for me, I think there definitely was. But as far as like everybody else's day, mm-hmm. like uh, when I when I think of set days, I think of it when when crew call is for some reason. But for me, oh yeah, like I've, I've definitely done longer than. 14 hours days with my time in to getting makeup and then getting out. It was like sometimes for me, like a, a 16 hour day for sure. Yeah. Was the pilot the longest? Cause in the beginning, I mean the, the, the makeup process improved uh, as the show went on, but I mean, in the beginning with the silicone gloves and, you know, they were really yeah. figuring it out. Well, I mean, they, they, I mean, Todd masters, who was the head of makeup uh, doing all the, 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 all the creations and Great overseeing guy. all the work. He's amazing. Just like, just a true uh, master at his craft, uh, a genius in, in uh, artistically and and with makeup and and he was great and, and his whole team were were so great. So I gotta give a big shout out to them because sometimes I'd be in there at you know four and I wouldn't be in the cheeriest of moods because of my early call times, and they made it all 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 good. So I I really gotta thank them. Big ups to them for sure. Wow, Michael Alton. In terms of makeup. How difficult was it to articulate? Were there any? Was there anything that you were told not to do because you'd be sent back into the the trailer? Was there anything that you just had to to fake by you know whatever means necessary? What'd you do? <laughs> How'd you pull it off? Told, told what 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 I couldn't do in the makeup. Um, I mean, it was always a challenge going to the bathroom. No oh God! <laughs> I sold all of your costumes and the amount of leather. The, the cows that you wore just absolutely outrageous. These things were heavy. Yeah, well, because some of some of the material it, it, you may have noticed has like texture and kind of like bumpy. They use like stingray yes. skin, in, um, which is like almost like a like a shell, but it's like uh-huh. a, a fine like layer of leathered shelling. Like it's, it's almost it's, like a sandpaper, except it's just like like yeah. a, a similar texture. It was extraordinary. Yeah, almost like a pearl, a pearly kind of uh-huh. like textured, sandpapery kind of thick, but but almost like a mini turtle shell to the skin. It's interesting, um, but yeah, it, it had weight to it too. So you know, <laughs> so it, it it's one thing you know to get everything uh, makeup one makeup wise too, but the costumes like just walking around in them, they were yeah, they were they were a good weight. I mean, like I was I was working out at the time, and it's a good thing I was because mm. uh, at regularly, regularly because it was um, 
yeah, I can't, I don't know how many pounds it was, but it was, it was, it was enough that I felt it. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, uh, just absolutely gorgeous costumes, the money that went into these things. And I would think that that really com- once the makeup w- one piece, but the costumes. And once you put that on, you knew exactly who you were walking onto that stage. Oh you were just gosh. missing your motorcycle and your electric guitar. Yeah, pretty much. You know, they had this kind of like, almost like uh, death metal kind of vibe to them. Um, they, uh, they had an attitude and they, and the costumes definitely brought that out as well. There were some amazing costumes on that. So Again, big up to the costume department for doing an amazing job because I was just having a conversation with somebody this past week, like, and it was on the set of a different show, and I, which I can't say any details of right now, but okay. I was saying, it was during a costume fitting, and I was like, I think I was referencing the foundation. Have you seen this Apple original I've seen the first the two episodes. I'm working on it, though. It's very well done. Wow. Super well done. Like, they spared no expense for the production of that show. Correct. And some of the cost- costumes in that show are fantastic and that for me like is a big indicator sometimes of being like oh this they put they put a lot into this show you can tell by their their costume and and the design of their costumes and just the textures and and quality so for me that's 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 a big thing when it when it comes to like raising a level of a production and and stargate definitely you know had that level that really high level of, of costuming going on that that made everything look so fantastic but yeah, Foundation, that's another great show. That's a good show. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna mention all of the shows. <laughs> no, this is a good thing because it's all this the audience, it's it's all the same genre. So this is it, yeah. I mean, like I'm as much of a fan as <laughs> anyone who watched me do stuff. So that that's what you have to understand is that I'm just another fan who happened to, you know, be in the makeup and get the role for, for that particular show. But otherwise, I'm the guy who's like fanning out on the new trailer and all the rest mm-hmm. of it for the, for the new show, the new film, the new video game, you know, because I'm into some gaming too. <laughs> there you go. Akosh yeah. wanted to know, what was it like working with Andy? It was all the queens. Andy is awesome. She's like... She's saying like, your praises. She's like, she's like, she's like a sister to me. Like, I have two sisters. I want to four kids. I have an older sister, a younger sister, and a younger brother. And she is like my, like my third sister. Like she's awesome. She's just like, anytime I was working with Andy, it was like, always like, Oh, cool. This is going to be a great day. This is like, because not only is she just such a cool person, but she's one of like my kind on the show. Like she's great. So she gets it. She understands everything I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing. And she, it's a shared experience when I'm on set with her and not only that, but she's just got such a great vibe all the time that it's it's a shared experience that's elevated. So Andy is A1 awesomeness all the way. Big ups, Andy. Like, Andy, you're the shit. You know, you, you, that's, you know, she's, 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 she's cool beans. She's cool beans. <laughs> Dex says, James, I think you were by far the best actor in Stargate Atlantis, and you really gave each Wraith you played a unique personality. Steve was my favorite. But who did you enjoy playing the most? Uh, thank you, by the way. That's really appreciated. Um, I enjoyed, yeah, Steve, Steve was, Steve's up there. I mean, like Bob, Bob the Wraith had his own thing. He only, he didn't have as much airtime as, as Steve, but, but Bob had something going on too that I kind of liked. Yeah. He was running Uh, around undetected for a while there. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, if I were to like have a few more episodes with one of the Wraith. It would either be Steve or Bob. I think 
because Bob is a little more mysterious to, uh, because he just um, he just seemed like a badass. Uh, <laughs> the, the mean, what was the name of this, the Wraith on De- in Defiant One? Where, Defiant One, where... he doesn't have a name. Uh, that yeah, I he doesn't could, have a name. I'm sure he does have a name in production, but I don't have it. Yeah, he was he was a bit of a badass too. That guy, yeah, because yeah, he was just like desert wraith. You could yeah. tell he was an old kind of gnarly wraith, like war <laughs> wraith, and he was just like throwing everything at at Shepard um, in in that episode, and that was that was kind of fun too because it was like, how do you kill this guy? <laughs> but I'm sure that's how how Shepard's character was thinking because he just he was kind of crafty. He was kind of good with he was good with tech and. He had that ship there and he had that stash of weapons. And then and he, he was like, he could do hand-to-hand combat with the knife and everything. He got a so lot was, out of that character, yeah. Yeah, that was a fun day. Um, that was, that was yeah, I enjoyed, I, we were in, the, in this desert, which was in Richmond of all places, which is like a suburb of, of Vancouver, mm-hmm. which I didn't even know there was a desert area out there, but uh, that's where we were shooting. And it, and it turned out, uh, it turned out pretty pretty good, I think. Uh, that was, uh, as far as like watching one of like the more action oriented mm-hmm. episodes. That was that was a pretty good action oriented episode for sure. For sure. Lock Watcher wanted to know with with all were all your lines looped after the performance because of the teeth. Yes, yes. Okay. I went to an ADR studio in North Van, and uh, I had to do all of my lines over again. So, cause with the teeth, it, they'd come out, but they would kind of come out a little bit slurred. Yeah. And it's funny cause I was just watching last night, an episode of resident alien with Alan Tudyk. Yep. Who yeah. also played Sonny in iRobot. Yes. He played Sonny in iRobot. Yes. So great show filmed locally. Yes. And he, and he does the same kind of thing where he's, where, well, he's mostly out of out of makeup, but he goes into makeup as the alien sometimes, and you can see them sometimes they go back and forth in the same scene uh-huh. because you'll see the perspective of like there's these two kids in the episodes uh, who can see him as the alien, but only these kids can see him as the alien. So in those scenes, it'll go back and forth between Alan Tudyk looking like Alan Tudyk and the alien, which looks very kind of like gray style alien, big eyes, um, and you could hear the difference between like the two performances because the one has sharp teeth that are, you know, like I like the Wraith had and the one obviously doesn't. So yeah, I, I, I'm surprised they didn't ADR that in that show actually, but yes, I did have to do my entire performance for any given show again, uh, uh, audio like verbally in, in the ADR recording studio. Yeah. Is that a pain in the ass or is it, perfectly satisfied. I always look forward to those. I always look forward to them. Okay. I mean, sometimes sometimes there's some challenges with, with, with like linking it up so it's totally in sync, so it looks like it's actually being said at the moment. But I, I'm always love those challenges and, and usually those guys were always just so chill. They were just like, yeah, you know, let's, let's try it again. And it was it was, it was was pretty almost like relaxing compared to like actually being on set. <laughs> yeah, because you're not in the makeup. So, because they're not in the makeup and there's no cameras and you get, and you're just cut. It's like a little more like book, like a good long two hours or whatever, you know, like more than enough time to get all the ADR uh, lines in. And, and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's not, it's not so bad, but it's, it's actually, I I looked forward to those days actually. Would they book you and Andy at the same time or would, would you see her coming in or out or was it completely separate? I think it was completely separate. I don't think I saw Andy there. 
Um, no, I don't recall. Hmm. I mean, if it did, it would, it would maybe just like in passing, like in the parking lot, like she was just pulling out or something like that, maybe one time. But I don't, I don't think so, actually. I don't know. Double check with, with Andy. I will. She, yeah, but yeah. Absolutely. Um, in Condemned, uh, you play one of my favorite Wraith. JS asked this. Uh, one of my favorite Wraith, who he's sitting at a table and he's eating. And he's drinking. Uh, JS said, you came off in a creepy kind of Dracula sort of way, and the wine drinking almost made him uh, scarier. Did you approach this character more elegantly? How was it portraying this kind of creature that is doing these things that is completely foreign to it, but completely vital to us? It was a very yeah. creepy <laughs> scene watching him eat. It was, yeah. And, and uh, I remember discussing with the director at the time, like, how I should eat and, like, does he kind of chew his food or is it more of just like a bird who just like throws it back and, and right. <laughs> you know, like, like he has a gizzard or something to <laughs> digest or to, to break down what he was eating. But yeah, it's, uh, it was Peter DeLuise who directed that one. Yes, of course it was Peter. Yes. Uh, yeah. Peter's great. I love Peter. Uh, he, he, not only did Peter like, give a great job directing some of those episodes, he also gave me a tour of the Louvre in, in, in Paris, France. Really? Never, I did a, a fan convention with him in Paris. Him and his two brothers as well uh, gave me the speed tour of the Louvre. And like, this is the Mona Lisa. This is the Venus de Milo. <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. So uh, big up, Peter. Uh, always enjoy working with him. But yeah, um, he, <laughs> I love the way he, he directs. Um, because he gets he gets so into it, and and, and he it's like he takes on the vibe of the race himself in, in some <laughs> oh, of God. his mannerisms. Whenever he's like, he'd be like he's kind of like you know, and he, and he gets right into it, which is which is very like he gives you an example of what he wants to see sometimes, which is it's a different way of working with than some directors, but it comes across like like clear as day. So yeah, um, that character had a certain. Uh, like uh, he was dignified. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking like, okay, this, this, this wraith is like Royal blood. So this mm -hmm. is, this would be kind of like the Prince William of race. And so he would, he would conduct himself accordingly. So he would, he would consider himself to be like, not just, you know, like somebody who feeds off of other beings, but he could also, you'd also invite him to a dinner party and, he, and he'll be a he fit right in. Guest. <laughs> you fit right, right. So I was just like he. So he he, he went out of his way to do the to learn those kind of etiquettes, uh, that those type of etiquette, uh, that type of etiquette, so yeah. that he could almost ingratiate himself to whoever he was doing dealings with. And in that scene, I'm pretty sure there was there was a it was a, a bit of a negotiation, right? There right. Was a, yeah. So so yeah, he kind of like. To, to make, even though it was, you could see that the the gentleman who played the, um, was it the Chancellor or something yeah, like very this? Very close. Or... Let me pull this up here. The actor, yeah. it was the Elysian Magistrates, the actor. Magistrate. Yeah, yes. he's appeared in, uh, Alan C. Peterson. He's appeared in Stargate. Alan C. Peterson. Yes. Great actor. And, um, and I could, you know, he, he gave me so much to work from because he was like, trying not to show he was kind of freaked out by what I was doing. But at the same time, he was, he was also like being charming himself. Right. And so it was this whole kind of game underneath what we were talking about being like, 
yeah, this is this is me, you know, like as a wraith taking part in your human customs. Aren't I doing it so well? But I'm still trying to scare you a little bit at the same time. And he's kind of like, oh yeah, it's great. It's not, it's it's fine. But you are, yes, you are scaring me just a little. And so it was, it's kind of like that whole, you know, like what's going on underneath the the surface of of these of these talks. But yeah, it was uh, it was it was a unique uh, amongst the unique uh, different unique characters of race. It was definitely one that I it stood out for me as well as being like. Uh, I could bring that side almost like, um, I don't know. I, I, I think, uh, of, of some of these characters, I, you know, the, the classic British bad guys, right. certain, you know, all, when you think of star Wars too, like a you lot may file when ready. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A, a lot of the, the empire that, you know, working under Vader or the emperor, they were all like these, these great British actors. And so, <laughs> I, you know, a little bit of that, you know, went into, I think, that that version of the race for sure. I tried selling um, your contact lenses uh, <laughs> on eBay uh, through PropWorks. And that's the one of the few flags that we got from eBay saying you, you cannot sell contact lenses on eBay. <laughs> I don't know what happened to these things. We couldn't, we couldn't sell them. I certainly didn't take them. But... Uh, one of the things that Andy said that she would experience is that she would have to have someone drive her home at night or make sure because your vision would tunnel all day long. And at the end of the night, you couldn't see. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was a thing like that. I mean, I remember on one of the particularly long days, and I think it was like for me, uh, excluding like when crew, uh, crew call was, it was bordering like a 16 hour day. One of the longer days I had on set, I remember the contacts not coming off my eyes they were like stuck to my eyes i guess there wasn't enough solution put in during the day but it was like we had to peel them off like i was actually worried i had i would have like vision damage like it was it's just another one of those things that was like okay this is part of the role but it it some of yeah, that, i remember at times it was uh, yeah like having almost like a blurriness like afterwards and being like oh my god i hope this is just you know, like temporary <laughs> But yeah, it was, uh, and I, I'm, I'm not a contact wearer. I don't yeah. have glasses. So it was something that I didn't have much experience with prior to. I mean, it totally added to the character and made the characters look so fearsome having those cat eye mm-hmm. kind of like greeny yellow, like colored lenses. Like they, they were awesome to look at. Uh, but, but yeah, sometimes um, they were, they were a challenge to remove <laughs> and, um, and yeah. And just, just having them all day sometimes made, made the vision a little blurry at the end of the day. She's right on that, yeah. You guys created um, one of the more impressive races uh, in all of the Stargate canon. Visually, um, I've I've had conversations with the the Stargate novel uh, writers on this show where they say they loved taking the Wraith apart because as novelists, they're able to go into their background in ways that, you know, we can't because we're just watching them, whereas they would have to, like, sink into their motivations, uh, much like right. you guys had to. And it's it's an extraordinary array of performances over the course of those two seasons, and I just really appreciate you uh, coming on and discussing them. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, you have to give credit. We're credited to the writers. There's some great writers on the show, and and they really helped bring the characters to life, and then it, it made it made our job a lot easier just to translate the the words off the page for sure. Uh, 
If Brad Wright and Rob Cooper called you tomorrow and said they were bringing Atlantis back for a season six, would you do it? I I would be very open to that. Yeah, yeah I would be very open to that. Yeah, uh, I mean, like uh, season six or like or like a reboot. Well, Amazon and MGM, who knows what they're going to be cooking up next? So it's entirely possible. Yeah, we've this got our is ears true. To the and probably, yeah, and this is this is. I would be very open to to having that discussion for sure. Um, because I was actually have been on a show. It was just the one episode, but uh, it was on the Expanse mm-hmm. in season three, and that show went from sci-fi to being Amazon. bought by Amazon. So, and it can, and that's how it continued. It probably wouldn't have continued if it wasn't for Amazon buying it. Right. Yeah. So yeah, anything's possible. I mean, we've seen it happen with so many shows, like (laughs) even like, like arrested development, you know, like going from Fox, one of my favorite comedies to then being like produced in season four by Netflix. And you know, it's, 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 it happens all the time now these days. It's just crazy. The um, the sky's the limit. You know, I'm I'm hoping that uh, that Stargate will be back in in some form sooner rather than later. And you know, if there's a, a chance of the Wraith reemerging, I would love to see you back in some form. Is there any uh, anything that you've got in the works that you can tell us about, or is everything that you're working on right now hush hush? I've signed several NDAs recently. Okay. <laughs> Uh, standing, of course, for non-disclosure agreements. Um, so I can't say a lot right now. Okay. Um, I can say that uh, something I'm most excited about uh, during the time of quarantine since like March of 2020 and, and even prior to, I've been working on my own screenplays um, and I've written two now. Uh, one is like fully polished and has written, has several rewrites and I, I feel it's it's almost ready to be read by certain people. The one is just like the first draft and it needs a couple more drafts. But I'm also working on this third script, which I'm doing the treatment for right now. And uh, it's it's I'll say it's a comedy. It's it's an adventure. It's um, otherworldly. Um, And yeah, I'll I'll leave it at that for now. Sounds like it's up our alley. Yeah, I think it definitely would be something that uh, some of the fans of the show might be into. Okay, sweet. Yeah. Well, we will keep an eye out. Um, and uh, I wish you all the best, truly. Thank you so much for coming on, James. This is this has been tremendously overdue, but it's been a pleasure to have you. Thank you very much, David. Really appreciate it. Thanks for all the fans for writing in and for being great, giving the great questions you, you were uh, sharing with me today. And also just for the support over the years, some of the most dedicated, like awesome fans uh, I've ever experienced. So thanks. Thank you. Truly. Thanks so much to James Lafazanos for joining us in this episode. And I really appreciate everyone who submitted uh, the the questions that made up the bulk of this uh, episode. The people who submitted questions that their their questions were answered, but their names weren't read. I wanted to give them a a shout out to uh, Christina uh, Becker. Undead Brett, Kenyon Moon, and Matthew Hall, um, uh, David Rapp, Memcheck01, Jeff Davis, and everyone else who submitted questions. I really, really um, appreciate it very much. 
we have uh, merchandise. Dial the Gate is brought to you every week for free, and we do appreciate you watching. If you want to support the show further, buy yourself some of our themed swag. We offer t-shirts, tank tops, sweatshirts, and hoodies for all ages, as well as cups and other accessories in a variety of sizes and colors at dialthegate.com. We have a number of special guests uh, heading your way for the month of March, uh, a couple of who have never been on the show before. And uh, you can go to dialthegate.com and see the complete list for yourself over there. I appreciate you tuning in. And before I let you go, though, I really want to give thanks to uh, Linda Gategabber Fury, as well as my moderators, Summer, Tracy, Keith, Jeremy, Reese, and Anthony, that make this whole thing uh, possible. And big thanks to uh, Frederick Marcoux at Concepts Web. He's our web developer on Dial the Gate. Also, a big thank you to Jeremy Heiner, our webmaster who keeps the site uh, up to date. My name is David Reed. I appreciate you tuning in. We'll see you on the other side. Dial the Gate is hosted and executive produced by David Reed. The producers are Darren Sumner and Linda Fury. The composer is Neil Acree. Animations by Bryce Ors. The moderators are Summer Roy, Keith O'Mell, Tracy Noller, Jeremy Heiner, Reese M., and Anthony Rowling. Logo design is by Deborah J. Bell. Additional effects by Thomas Tots. The webmaster is Frederick Marcoux. The archivists are Linda Fury, Zachary Adams, and Frederick Marcoux. For inquiries, please contact us at dialthegateshow at gmail.com. Visit our website for the upcoming schedule, as well as an archive of our past episodes at dialthegate.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>